0: Why don't you guys open up your Bibles to Judges chapter 13? We're gonna be looking at the life of Samson. Samson. Judges chapter 13. So in my life, <coughs> in my life, I've um, I've seen God use brokenness in all kinds of ways. Uh, specifically for me in college, I was me and Danielle kind of had an on and off again thing. Um, so more her canceling it and me wanting it on. So anyways, that's not the point. But there came a point where me and Danielle were in our relationship and we weren't dating at the time. But she, uh, um, I'd become somewhat hostile to her, uh, passive aggressive. Guys, you do this when you like somebody and you, you, you can't like them. for You've said stupid things. And that was, in my case, where I was. So... Um, I still liked her, but I didn't know what to do, and a lot of times how I started treating her was very negative, um, and I'd, I'd hurt her uh, quite a bit. I really wasn't aware of this until later, uh, but during that time, I remember she would tell me that she was praying for me, uh, but she wasn't just praying any kind of prayer. She was praying that I would be humbled, humbled, um, and ultimately what went down was I was playing basketball, and God just had to start exposing this area in my life that I wasn't giving over to him. And we are playing basketball, intramural basketball, which is extremely competitive and, you know, high stakes, like lots on the line. You get a t-shirt at the end if you win. So, so you know it's big, right? And uh, we're playing basketball, and my team is just, let's just put it in nice terms, they just stunk. They just, they weren't passing well, they weren't shooting the ball, they weren't getting it to the right person, me, um, and, and I can't shoot. So it was a really weird game. And I'm getting really upset at my my teammates and a guy just puts a lazy pass uh, at the top of the the key and the other team just snaps it, takes it right out of the air, starts going down. Uh, None of my team moves. Okay, that's how bad the game was. And I am nothing but hustle. So I get mad. I start screaming at my team and I realize like he's just going to go for a layup and you could tell he kind of slowed down like, yeah, that's right, like I'm just going to go in. So I was like, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm standing at the three-point line on the other side of the court. I start sprinting over, and he has no clue I'm coming. I'm a freight train coming through. He has no idea. He's literally in in the motion of a layup. I came, and I hit the ball right out of his hands. Didn't see me coming. And the ball hits the ground. As I stop and I turn, my knee dislocates, tearing my ACL meniscus. I... Immediately, having clenched the, the, the ball behind me, release it, fall, hit the floor, slide into the pads. And the whole time, my eyes are on the referee, whose eyes are going wide open, <laughs> that what just happened? And I'm thinking, oh, no. Like, what did I just do? Insult to injury. The guy takes the ball, still in play, bounces it, makes the layup. <laughs> Humiliating. Humiliating. God used that moment after months of not being able to get surgery because someone forgot to register as an out-of-state patient in the Illinois Blue Cross system. I had to wait three months to get my knee surgery. So I was, I was completely immobilized by my, my knee. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't bend it. I wasn't allowed to do anything with it. And I had to wait those three months. It was painstaking and agonizing. But God used that to show me some grace. God used the brokenness, brokenness in my life, the brokenness that he caused to really bring me and um, show me awareness of some sin in my life. God uses brokenness all the time. I think God will use brokenness, especially if you're not being broken yourself. And it's about humility. It's about lowering yourself. That's what humility is. Humility is not a feeling. It's an action. It's about knowing you're not Necessarily worse than that person, but making yourself less. This is what Christ demonstrated to us on the cross. As we jump into Samson's life, we are going to see brokenness. Uh, We're going to see brokenness and we're going to see it in all kinds of ways. We're going to see God break Samson and ultimately bring him back to him. But what we're going to see, the main thing tonight, is that God uses brokenness to pour out his grace into us. God uses brokenness, our brokenness, brokenness around us to pour his grace into us. Uh, We're going to see through Samson's story this, and we're going to ultimately have two two, uh, application points that come from his story. So let's jump in. Okay, so here's the summary. I'll try to run through this as fast as I can. Okay, Samson has some strengths. He has some weaknesses. Samson is a judge of Israel. So we're in the book of Judges. Uh, in the book of Judges, there's all these cycles. The uh, people of Israel are free. They don't have anybody oppressing them. And then all of a sudden, somebody big and bad comes along that God raises up. You know why? Because the people harden their heart. The whole book of Judges is about God breaking his people and bringing them to repentance. And so it's constantly happening. And basically, that's exactly what happens in the story of Samson. So Samson's a, one of these judges Now, the the cycles of the judges, what's happening in the book, it's supposed to be happening to the people of Israel. Now, it's going to happen to an actual judge of Israel. So, this is not a good story, necessarily. Okay? And so, he's supposed to be the defender of Israel. He's supposed to be defeating their enemies and attacking their enemies. Okay? So, what are some of Samson's strengths? He's strong. Like... Anybody know that? You've been in Bible uh, Sunday school class, know your Bible. Samson's strong, right? Picking up gates, chopping things, and throwing jawbones, and he's got stuff, right? He's a strong man. He's a leader. He's a leader. He's seen as someone powerful and authoritative. He also has God on his side. These are his strengths. And primarily, why he has God on his side is there's this little thing called the Nazarite vow and that's honestly the whole story of Samson's kind of uh, a nice bow is wrapped around it with a Nazirite vow. Um, so what is a Nazirite vow? It's something that Moses detailed out in Deuteronomy. Um, and what happened is we'll, we'll get to uh, uh, Samson's story about how the Nazirite vow came to be on him. But a Nazirite vow was basically there's three main things a person wasn't supposed to do. Uh, the person was never to drink any wine. They weren't even to eat any grapes, so no grape juice either, okay? Um, they're not supposed to shave their head, cut their hair at all. They're supposed to leave it long and beautiful, okay? Especially men. It's not always common, but it's, it's true. Men can have beautiful hair. Samson um, Samson a beautiful hair. Um, so, and then I love the third one. It's no cadavers, which means no dead bodies. No touching dead bodies, no touching dead animals, no touching anything dead. If it's dead, don't touch it. And it's not because it's like legalistic that no touching things was supposed to signify separation, sanctification. It's holiness that he's been set apart. Okay? This symbolized, his Nazarite vow symbolized God being on his side. Ultimately, when those are all broken, Samson's not on God's side and he ends up being humbled. We'll get there. What, is our, what are his weaknesses? His eyes. Samson's story, and we won't get into all the nitty-gritty details of it, but it's like super cool. As you read back, watch what happens when Samson sees something. What happens when he talks about his eyes. He, it's, it's, what his, it's his uh, reasoning. It's his, his desires. Uh, it's his own mindset and how he's going to go about life. In the book of Judges, it keeps repeating this phrase, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. And that's the moral compass of Israel. And ultimately, it's going to be demonstrated in our judge, Samson. Uh, he shows disregard to the custom and the laws of his people. He's going to go try to marry a woman he's not supposed to marry. And his mom and dad are like, what? You're not supposed to. And, you're, uh, uh. So, and he's like, I don't care. I want her. She was right in my eyes. Um, and the last thing we see is arrogance. So I can reconcile. I, I can uh, be with that. I, I have that. Okay. So what do we see? Let's summarize his story. What what happens? We can break his story into four parts. And basically, it's the four chapters. So chapter 13, which is the first part, uh, it's his upbringing. So what happens in chapter 13? I'm just going to summarize because there's so much to get through. Uh, So his parents, basically, his mom's out in a field. The angel of the Lord, which is really a pre-incarnate Jesus, is out there. And we know this is pre-incarnate Jesus because they freak out when they realize it was the angel of the Lord, they respond as if it was God. This is how people respond to the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. They're all like, oh my goodness, we're going to die. And actually, Samson's parents talk about it. They're like, are we going to die? I don't know. Are, you, are we going to die? And they have this whole discussion about, well, we're not going to die because he gave us a promise. And it's kind of hilarious. So read the Old Testament. There's some really great comedy in it. Um, so the parents are told by the angel of the Lord, hey, you're going to have a son. And, and you're going to him, make him a Nazarite. And so the angel gives specific instructions to mom and says, do not drink of wine. Do not touch anything defiled. And do not cut his hair. Do not let him do those other things as well. So she's given very specific instructions on how to raise him. That he's supposed to be a Nazarite. Someone set apart for the Lord. He was going to be a deliverer for his people. They raised him in this way. It's a really fascinating story. Really great story about parenting. I mean, these people raised their son in the way. I think it's something to say about parenting is, some of you guys come from a Christian home where your parents have done this. They've they've raised you in the way of the Lord. Here's the thing. Ultimately, that does not affect your eternal destination. It doesn't affect it. Uh, Samson isn't necessarily better off because he was raised this way, okay? It's what Samson does with his life. Same with you. If you're raised in a Christian home, that doesn't make you a Christian. Christians are reborn through the spirit of God. They are not born of flesh. Samson has to work this out in his life. And ultimately, I believe he does. So he was born this way. He was raised in this godly home. They were very careful to obey. And ultimately, we see in chapter 2 the conflict Samson has with his parents. So we move to his second chapter, which is chapter 14. And in chapter 14, uh, Samson goes down to uh, uh, Timnah. So he says, Samson went down to Timnah in verse 1. And Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. He came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. And so what we don't understand there is something that's significant to them. So Timnah was not a, a place where Israelites lived. So therefore... Whoever lived in Timnah was not an Israelite, so he was supposed to marry an Israelite. That's not an Israelite. He wants to marry someone who's not an Israelite. That's a big no-no. That's a big no-no, especially someone who's being raised to be the deliverer for Israel shouldn't be trying to find a wife outside of Israel. Here's the conflict. Him and his parents go back and forth. You guys have probably experienced something like that. Uh, Maybe not over a wife, uh, anyone. Um, But you, you go back and forth, right? You have a different... Uh, different standard. You're, you're dealing with different things and ultimately what was their standards? It was right in their own eyes. J- Samson was thinking he was being right in his own eyes. When you emphasize your, your, your ideas like well who are you to say anything to me about that mom, dad you lower yourself. Humility. Samson demands his way ultimately he gets his way. His moral compass is moving. True north is not known to him. He's starting to do things that aren't necessarily great. He doesn't start off terrible. He's just asking to marry someone that he's not necessarily supposed to marry. What's the big deal? It's not, it's not like I'm killing anybody. Well, we'll get there. Um, so anyways, he gets down to the city. He starts. has this wedding. And so these weddings weren't like our weddings. We're like, you're like, hey, there's one day that we prepare one meal. It's seven days long. So he comes into this wedding. And he makes this really, really dumb bet. This gets really strange. But he makes this bet and goes, hey, I bet the guys, the the men of the city, I bet you guys can't figure out this riddle. And they're like, yeah, we'll take the bet. I'm like, why is this happening? And and so he goes through it and they say, okay, what were we going to bet? He says, we're going to bet like like this large amount of garments. I guess that's really important to them. Um, So... They, they continue in the bet, and he, he gives them a riddle that they could never know the answer to. And why is that? Because it's something that he did with his own bare hands. When he was on his way there, he actually was attacked by a lion. He tore the lion in two. This is something i talking about his strength, right? This lion attacks him. He just rips it into pieces. You're just like, that's kind of disturbing. But he's really sh- oh, Yeah, everyone's like, that's awesome. Okay, but listen to the rest of the story. Two days after that, he came walking by. The carcass was still there. He never appropriately dealt with it. And now it's a defilement because he's not supposed to touch what? Anything dead. And now there's some bees that have made a hive in it and they've made honey. He goes into the carcass and eats the honey. Okay? He broke his vow. He broke his Nazarite vow. And more likely at the wedding, they don't necessarily just drink orange juice and apple juice. Okay? Okay? They're having wine at the wedding, so he's more likely breaking his vow there as well. So he based this riddle off the fact that he had this lion. He killed this lion and ate honey from it. So the answer to the riddle was, as strong as a lion, as sweet as honey. Well, the men of the town, at day three, start threatening his new wife, saying, listen, if you don't figure out this riddle, if you don't get it from him, we're going to burn you and your whole family. So she's going... I'm not an idiot. So she convinces Samson to tell her. Samson refuses until the last day of the feast, the seventh day. And they had up to that seventh day to tell him the riddle. He finally tells his wife. She tells them. They come and give him the response. He gets super angry. He goes to another town. He murders 30 people and takes their garments and brings them and pays off the debt to these guys. Super crazy. Super crazy. He did what was right in his own eyes. This is what's even crazier. It keeps saying that God knew what he was going to do. See, the Philistines were the enemies. Samson was the judge. See, God wanted Samson to fight the battle for Israel. But Samson was doing his own way. He was still accomplishing what God wanted. But not necessarily in a moral way. Does that make sense? So he keeps doing this. So... He, comes, he goes home angry. He like leaves his wife there. He's like, I'm just fed up. He gets home. He waits a couple of days. He goes back, and his father-in-law is like, oh, I gave your wife away uh, to your best man. Super weird. If you were him, you would be upset, right? So likely, like all of us, we would take 300 foxes, tie their tails together, put uh, a torch in between them, and have them run through fields to burn all the Philistines' crops. And so that's what he does. He torches all their fields, and they get super upset, and they find out who did this. They find out Samson did, so they end up burning his wife and her family. It's like super shocking, right? Uh, Samson's trying to do right in his own eyes, and it's not working out. Brokenness after brokenness after brokenness. So we move into his third chapter. Samson's life's not staying uh, the way he probably thought it was going to be. This is best seen as his wanderings and his judge, judgeship. So he goes to this cave in the cleft of a rock somewhere. And <clears throat> the Philistines are super angry at him, right? So they come up against the people of Judah. And, uh, they're, and the Judah, see, Judah had already been conquered by the Philistines. So they're super confused. They're like, whoa, why are you bringing your army up here? Like, we're, we're chill. Like, we're cool. Like, what are you, what are you doing? And they're like, hey, we're looking for Samson. They're like, well, we know where he is. And I say, well, you guys better get him or we're going to torch this whole place. You bet, right? So they send 3,000 guys up to where Samson is because the Judaites, they weren't idiots. They're like, uh, Samson's strong. We better take 3,000 guys. So they get up to Samson. They go, hey, man, like, you've got to come. Like, this isn't cool. Like, you're going to cause some des- devastation for us. And he's supposed to be their defender. So he does. He says, you know what? Bind me. So they take two new ropes. These are super heavy-duty ropes. They wrap them up. They tie them up, and they transport him to the Philistines. Well, from a far distance off, the Bible says that the Philistines saw Samson. They saw he was bound, and they got super excited, and they started celebrating. And they came running and, like, high-fiving, right? And they're, like, coming to Samson, like, we got him, right? Samson sees this and says the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson, his his ropes became like flax that's burned, which I guess means really weak, and he just snaps them. And then it's like, uh-oh, right? But like Samson doesn't have a weapon. So Samson, he's like, you know, super ninja. He looks around, he sees a donkey that's been dead for like years, that's just like that white bone. He grabs the jawbone of the donkey and he uses it as a weapon, kills a thousand Philistines. He kills so many Philistines and he's so exhausted that he literally There's nothing around him, and he starts complaining to God, like, God, you gave me all this strength to beat all these people up, but you haven't given me water. You left me to die, and God's like, well, here's some water. And you're like, God, in the midst of it, God's still supplying Samson. This is the most fascinating part of it. Samson's a broken person. Samson's doing it his way, but God is still with Samson. It says in verse 20 of chapter 15, he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines. That's a statement of an affirmation to what he's doing. It's an incredible affirmation. Samson's not necessarily doing it the way God would have wanted him, but he's still getting the job done. His fourth and final chapter is chapter 16. Ultimately, this is his Achilles heel and his death. Samson, uh, he gets into one inappropriate relationship with a girl after one, another inappropriate relationship with a girl. He takes all the, all the abilities God's given him, all of the, the gifts and the, the strengths he has, and he starts using him for himself. And he finally meets a woman named Delilah. Should sound familiar. Samson and Delilah, right? Okay. She, she's, she's coerced by the lords of the Philistines, the rulers of the Philistines, to turn on Samson. And actually find out where does his strength come from. So the Philistines are like, okay, we're kind of done, like, getting slaughtered by Samson. Like, is that cool? Like, can you just do the hard work of, like, where does he get his strength from? Let's get that done. And then we'll kill him. So she tries four times. And, like, Samson doesn't believe her. Well, why? Because, like, his first, his wife in the beginning, what did she do? He told her, confided, and she broke his trust. So you can see Samson's a little... Uh, skittish about trusting this woman but after three times of her failing that he kept lying to her she finally through like this nagging and nagging he reveals what's really going on he reveals his heart he informs her that all along he's had this vow on him he's a nazirite and the reality is is it meant that his razor has never touched his head and if you cut his hair what would happen he loses strength so she uses this. She cuts, gets his hair cut. She actually has him sleep in Her lap has a guy come in and cut his hair. Sure, that guy was freaking out like, what if he wakes up? Um, I wouldn't want to be that guy shaving his head. Um, like this guy like killed a thousand people with a jawbone of a donkey. So they shave his head and immediately she calls. She, and this is something she kept doing. She's like, Samson, the Philistines are here. And then he's like, he'd stand up and get ready to like go to battle. But this time he was weak. The Lord had left him. The Lord left him. He broke his vow. I mean, he's been breaking his vow, breaking his vow. Finally, God allows that brokenness to be fulfilled in him. And ultimately, the Philistines come in, they arrest him, they imprison him, they gouge out his eyes. These eyes that have been looking and doing everything their own way have now been taken from Samson. They bring him to a prison and eventually they're having this celebration for like their God's, and they say, let's parade Samson around the room. So they bring him up, this, this blind man, weak, but it says something important. It says that his hair had begun to grow back. Now that might not sound significant, but it is. It was a sign that Samson was returning his loyalty to God. That his heart was changing. That he was coming back into line. It's not just a, a weird note in the Bible that says, Yeah, and his, you know, his hair was growing. It's like, of course, his hair was growing. You know, his, hair, his head was shaved, it's growing back, of course. But it says it because it knows that his loyalty to God was tied to his hair, so is his strength. And look what he's praised in verse sixteen, chapter sixteen, verse twenty-eight. It says then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. It's an odd prayer of repentance from an odd, broken life. Rightly, he turns to God and asks God, God, give me vengeance. Let me take vengeance. But it's not for God's glory. It's for Samson's. But even in the midst of that, God uses that brokenness to bring himself glory and pour grace out to Samson. God gives him grace. And what happens Samson grasped the middle, middle pillars on the wall, uh, which the house rested. And he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Like you shout that. and People are going, what's this guy doing? Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the lords, upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than whom he had killed during his life. Samson was more effective in being a judge at his death in his entire life. We see that because he turns to God. It's a kind of a weird mixture. It's a weird mixture because there's a ton of brokenness to his story. So what are the two things that stand out to us? What are the two things we can walk away with? So so we're going to wrap up with this. Ultimately it starts with God. It starts with his grace. God's grace is given to us because of our brokenness. God gives us grace because of our brokenness. I think a lot of times we uh, uh, try to hide our brokenness. We try to disguise it. Ultimately, Samson couldn't. Samson is broken. He's, he's ultimately sometimes a really bad example for us. Like, we shouldn't look at Samson's life and be like, hey, like, if you're, you know, caught in a bad bet, you know, you go kill people and you go get their stuff and, sell, and give it to the person that you made a bad bet with. Like, not a good moral example, okay? The story's not put here to be like, be like Samson. The story's put here to demonstrate How immeasurable God's grace is. God uses the most broken people. God can use the most broken people. I love the Bible. I love how it pictures our heroes as just the way they were. It doesn't try to sugarcoat Samson. It never once tried to hide the fact that Samson's really not that great of a guy. But ultimately, We see him in the hall of faith. If we go to Hebrews chapter 11, we won't have time to go there. Hebrews chapter 11 uh, is the hall of faith. It gives this list of like Abraham and and David and all these people that are like pillars of, of the faith in the Old Testament. Gideon's an example of someone who had faith and so did Samson. Their faith wasn't perfect. Their faith sometimes was really nasty and messy, but ultimately they demonstrated God and, and God poured grace into their lives. God has an amazing grace. you got to remember, what is God's grace? It's unmerited. See, we look at Samson and go, well, how could God be gracious to him? If God can be gracious to Samson, clearly, grace is not earned. Samson never deserved any of it. And so with us. I think there's... An idea that we can sometimes earn grace from God, and, and if we don't actually think it, we somehow respond like we like we like we can. Okay, uh, an example. Maybe this isn't you, but some people, you know, you you feel the brokenness in your life. You feel what you've done is wrong, and you get full of self pity. You start beating yourself up. You're like, well, if, if I really feel really really bad about this, like and your your focus and your eyes are on you, and you try to make yourself feel as bad as you can because you know how bad you were, that self-pity, self-loathing, that emotional torture you do to yourself, somehow you're saying, if I can make myself feel so bad enough, maybe God can then really love me and pour His grace unto me. It's absolutely not true. Absolutely not true. Another way that we do this, where we think we can earn God's grace, is we self-harm. It's sometimes when we think like, well, God can't love me or like my body's doing something or I'm, I'm causing something, so therefore I must discipline myself or I've got to do something. And this is something that people think and it's twisted and it's not a, a, something that's true and honorable or good that comes from our heavenly father, but it comes from something inside of us that's trying to say, God, I want to, I want to look better for you so I can actually be better so I can have your grace in my life. It's absolutely false. You can't make yourself merit God's grace. It's just given. I think the most interesting one we do is we start twisting our communion with God. And we try to start earning God's love. So we isolate from community. We get away from people that love us, can actually tell us truth, say, hey, God loves you. He died for you. Like You need to lift your eyes, raise up your eyes, look to heaven, say, God, be my helper. But instead, we isolate and we, we talk about, like, why well, I spent all this time with God and I, I just, like, I just need to be with God and, like, it just, it's so overwhelming. And, like, God's sitting there going, I will give you my grace, just ask. You can have it. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. But we sit there, we think we have to somehow earn it by, like, well, I'm going to spend more time with you so that, you know, by spending more time with you, you'll, you'll see that I really love you and so then you really can love me back. This is not how God works. We need that time alone with God, but it needs to be with a different focus. <clears throat> we need to mourn over our sin and brokenness, but it needs to be with a different mindset. And ultimately, that different mindset's revealed. I love Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. It says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. I love that verse it ultimately helps us understand how do we deal with God's grace? Like I'm broken, I'm a sinner, I, I'm lost, I'm not perfect, but instead of hiding that fact, instead of keeping it in, I'm gonna say, I've gotta turn my attention away from myself and others by, through comparison, and I gotta look to God. I gotta look to Jesus Christ. I've gotta put my focus, set my mind on things above and not on earthly things. Not on how bad I am or how, how deceitful I am or how broken I am. God uses broken people. Samson is that example. His grace is amazing. It almost is overwhelming how awesome his grace is. So ultimately, putting off the things that we should put to death and putting on the attributes of God, Colossians chapter 3. If you haven't read it, it, make it part of your reading list this week. So where do we end with this? God's grace is amazing. He gives us grace because of our brokenness. We need God's grace. We need His love. We need to be poured into us. God will give it to us because of that. So when we're feeling brokenness, we need to call on Him for strength. Say, just be truthful with Him. Fight those lies in your heart. Those things that make you turn to think you somehow have to earn it or come to Him or, or clean yourself up. Well, I'm not good enough yet. Maybe one day or, or, or maybe if I just give some space between my sin before I talk to God and confess it, maybe that will be better. No, go immediately. He's your heavenly father. There's lies that fill our minds and hearts. We have to give those over to him. We got to call those out. We have to call on him. He's given us his Holy spirit. And you know, what? that's the gospel. We are his, we are beloved. Your identity is set in him. And so as we see Samson's story, we start seeing his identity wasn't set in Christ. His identity was set by the things around him. He allowed the things of this earth to hold his identity more than the thing, the person in heaven. And that's what God's done for us. That's the gospel. He's given us grace. Ultimately, it's this. You're broken. You're not perfect. Get over that. You're not a perfect person. You're never going to be. You get past yourself. Don't beat yourself up for that. Keep striving. It's not give up on faith and it's not, well, forget about faith. It's not that big of a deal. No, you strive for it. You make it your focus. You keep it in focus. Trust Jesus for your salvation from sin and death always. That's how you get saved. That's how you remain to walk in Christ. Ultimately, you have to ask yourself, have you done it? Have you been saved? If not, <coughs> do it. Let's move to the second one. This is kind of interesting because I think when we start talking about, like, God loves us. Like, his grace is poured out to us. Like, you are broken. You're going to be broken. Don't worry about that, right? It can feel like, awesome. Like, I'm going to run out this door. I'm be like, I can live. Like, I can do what I want now. No. Because this, it's in balance. You got to hold it in. Uh, grace is doesn't mean it's a license to sin. Like when you get a license to drive a car, that means you have the right to go out right and drive a vehicle on the road. If you don't have a license, and some of you may have done this, you're not allowed to drive on the road, right? And we ultimately we think like, well, license means. Uh, I mean, the grace means I can go do what I want. And what it's very clear in Scripture that's not true. We need some caution as we move forward. And so we absolutely have grace and absolutely it's given to us and we don't earn it. And the reality is, is I I really believe this. The only thing I bring to my relationship with God is my brokenness. I'm like, hey God, I've got a lot of baggage. Um, And God's like, yeah, let's take you. I'm like, sweet, right? Like Jesus died for me. His his death truly paid for my sin. I have heaven in my future because of what he's done for me. But grace doesn't mean that we get to do whatever we want. We're not perfect, but we don't get to be like, well, if I'm not perfect, then I'll take another, right? We don't get to just keep doing it. We read Romans, Romans chapter six. So uh, you don't have to turn there, but hear this. Romans chapter six, verse one says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we persist in it? How can we have our, our breath and our living in sin, if we've truly died to sin, Colossians 3 said, if we've been raised with Christ, seek the things above. If you have died to sin, if Christ is your savior, sin isn't part of your life. Now, we see in Samson's life, it it, it is. That's just the reality. But here's the thing, the beautiful thing about Samson's life. If Samson, if Samson could receive the grace of God, so can we. And ultimately, It doesn't give us the license or excuse to do or continue in our sin. We have to identify these things. It's clearly clearly seen in Samson's life. He had sin. What Samson failed to do is not quit it. He continued in it. God calls us to abandon these things. God calls, especially from Romans chapter 6, says do not continue. If there's something in your life that you know you keep going to, Says, stop going to it. Stop living in it. He's calling you away from that. I love, I love this quote. Um, it's been said a lot, and I and I think it's something just put to memory. Uh, God calls you as you are. He saves you just as you are. You don't have to work yourself up, right? That's the grace. You don't have to get yourself in a better situation. If you're like a a zero on the level of like. Uh, like awesome, like God's like, you're in, right? Like you don't have to get to a two, three, or four, right? Uh, God just accepts you where, as you are, but he doesn't leave you where you came, okay? Where you have come in, he doesn't leave you there. He grows you and he matures you and and he multiplies you. And ultimately, the way that he does that is by purging sin, purging, destroying, gutting it out of your life. An old preacher from England said, Kill sin or it will kill you. That's a pretty frightening statement. Kill sin or it will kill you. And ultimately, it's probably not totally true, right? Like, sin's not probably going to kill you. Um, It can kill you spiritually. It can kill you emotionally. But the reality is, is we look at Samson's life, sin killed him. Sin is what moved him to that spot. In Samson's case, it did kill him. I think it challenges us to really consider, what are you harboring? What sin are you keeping inside that you won't allow out? Why do you think you have to be perfect? We're not perfect, right? Grace, God gives us grace. We're not perfect, but we are honest. God doesn't require us to be perfect, but he does require us to be honest. And if we're being honest, what's going on in your heart? What are you persisting in? God is giving you grace. He's giving you grace to hear this. He's giving you grace to change and, and to, to repent and to call out to Him and tell Him, Lord, if, if there's something in me, God, show me. Reveal it in my heart that I might deal with it. Now i am tell you this, guys. If you would take that opportunity tonight, then deal with it. Don't leave this place. Don't shove it down deeper because eventually it's like Jack in the box, you push it in, it's going to pop out one day. Whatever you keep pushing down will come out. Your sins will be laid bare one day before the judgment seat of Christ. So we're going to go into singing now. So I invite the band up. I'm going to encourage you guys to take this time as we finish up, as you guys sing this last song, as you reflect on Jesus, that you would really focus your eyes on him, right? Because that's in the end. This is what deals with this. Is that you're not perfect, but you have to be honest. The only way you can be honest is by seeing the the beautiful and and, and glorified Jesus. To see his worth and magnitude. And understand the only identity that will satisfy you is by finding it in him alone. You need to look and take a close look at your life. And if there's any sin in your life, I'm going to encourage you. There's a cross right back there. If it's something you want to deal with, Take it, write it on a piece of paper. You don't need to flip it around so everyone sees what you're putting on there. You can put it face down, and pin it to the cross. It's, a, it's an action of saying, I want to deal with this tonight. I want to get this, not just off my chest, I want to get this out of my life. But if you do that, when you do that, it's a promise that you're going to talk with someone. If it's an adult, if it's an older student in here, and that we deal with that tonight. And that you talk to, I really encourage you, if you pin it to the cross, tell a leader, especially in junior high, talk to a leader about it because there's stuff in your life now if you dealt with it, tonight that will save you major heartache and issues in the future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. God, I pray that you would continue just to, to use... Uh, us use uh just your word as it just sharpens us it, it challenges us as it chisels away at the stones that maybe are in our hearts that we are concealed so much god i pray that you would open them up much like in the story we heard of you opening rocks and water flowing uh, god i pray that you would uh, that would come out of our hearts tonight it's just authentic and real worship of you may you go before us may we know your presence and may we see you jesus and give you all the glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.